Now Micah Miller trying to spring a pass ahead. Nobody in front of Jack Paling. Moves on with a blast and scores! Jack Paling! We aren't giving up on chances, and we just got to bottom line execute. Waits, waits, passes in front. Great save, Pelosi, as she robs a Cooper in front of her. And that was number eight, Kippen Keller, on the great A opportunity. For me as a coach, that's the kind of D you're always looking for because uh, they don't grow on trees for sure. And, and he's done a really good job being a captain of a really young team this year. It's a really cool thing to see for them to uh, really appreciate what I've done on and off the ice. To the far half wall, Jack Paling trying to play it into the corner. Now Paling turns, squares his body to the slot, sends it up high toward Jack. Shaw makes his play through and they score! Right along the blue line, Nick Paling was in front of the net and St. Welcome back to the Den, Husky Morning House podcast fans. We are at episode number 40 already here on the show. This week is a good one. We do have a former women's Husky defenseman as part of our Healthy Scratch interview segment. Plenty to get to as far as men's and women's hockeys and plenty of other hockey news and center ice views news and notes and plenty of other stuff including some giveaways as well uh, alongside Noah Grant. I'm Nick Maxson. Uh, Noah, it's Friday. It's mid-December. And it's a weird December here in Minnesota. And here's why. There's no snow on the ground. And we haven't had snow since October. It Doesn't it seem backwards? I mean, it's just my mind is blown. I know Minnesota in all of her glory will even the score at some point. I just hope it's not in April or May or June. I mean, it's it's this year, 2020 has been quite the year. Uh, but I, I guess I have no complaints uh, so far. But uh, tell me how your Friday has been going. You know, it's kind of funny too, because I was reading online about people who are in Minnesota. Um, obviously I am not, I'm in North, Northern North Dakota, um, but yeah, hardly any snow here as well, but they've talked about people who are out on the golf course, still golfing and um, cutting grass in their own yards and that sort of thing. So yeah, it's kind of, kind of weird to think about. I, uh, I do worry what the spring months do hold for us as far as the weather is concerned. Um, I mean, my Friday is okay. I, uh, for listeners who, who have listened in on previous episodes. We did mention at one point that my dog wasn't doing so well um, today. And I did post this on our Twitter page as well. Um, my dog did pass away today. Uh, actually, by pass away, we did bring him to the vet and put him down today. So uh, I went peacefully, obviously, and uh, brought him back home and buried him on the land. So I, um, yeah, I mean, it's a bittersweet Friday, but my dog was 14 and uh, had a really, really enjoyable life. So uh, it's, average humdrum, I guess I'm doing a little bit better than I expected to be, but you know, one of the stories that actually caught my attention that kind of made me laugh actually today. And I, I don't know why it took me so long to see it. Did you see that thing about, uh, um, that, uh, TV station out in Boston? They, they were interviewing like for that snowstorm yes. in that Nor'eastern and Jerome, they interviewed Jerome Ginla, who spent a very brief time with the Bruins and they didn't even know who he was. <laughs> You know, those news people are, are quite as, you know, up to date as the sports people. I, I kind of wondered, you know, when 
you know, local news reporters, you know, and, and it happens to, you know, it's just a, a luck of the draw type thing, Noah, when, you know, you're airing this live and you have some sports guys, especially uh, out East, especially in the Boston area, a very hockey heavy market, especially up there in the Northeast. Uh, when his face came to bro, they didn't just point and go, that's gotta be Jerome McGinley. I mean, he's, he's a very recognizable face. Um, in fact, he's around Minnesota quite a bit too. I know a couple of years back, uh, he was actually bringing in his kids to, uh, to go to hockey camps here. And, mm-hmm. and a couple of people pass him at the uh, MS, airport so he does travel around quite a bit and uh still pretty it's, funny that uh, they didn't know it was uh you know what should be in, in my opinion is a nhl hall of famer totally agree i i think it's kind of funny too that jerome mcginley is in the states i mean he's canadian so it's interesting that he did end up you know staying in canada i don't believe he resides i believe he resides actually around the boston area from what i've understood so uh um, i also like with jerome mcginley i like how he's patented the steve mcdonald uh and brett larson haircut hybrid um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> looking pretty good there. So, uh, um, yeah, I, I thought that was kind of interesting. Not as, not as crazy as an ice surfacer starting on fire though. I think that's probably the wildest oh, one boy. that we've had this year. <laughs> I don't know that, that, uh, as far as hockey moments, uh, you know, there, there's been some good ones, uh, you know, certainly, uh, but, uh, the, as far as maybe the, the, you know, the, the not so top 10 moments that might be number one was, uh, and I, I think we talked about it when it happened, Noah, is that, you know, it's not just the fact that it wanted fire, but the person driving kept on driving this thing. He was, had to go essentially 200 feet with this thing engulfed in flames to get it off the ice. Uh, so, you know, you didn't just stop what you're doing and hop off. Cause that thing like went up quick. If, yeah. if you see the video, it started what looked to be a pretty small, but then it, 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 it's, expanded really quick so the yeah. fact that he kind of held on to it and drove it off the yeah. ice uh, was was quite a decision i don't know if he would probably do it a second time but um, uh so i guess before we jump into our trivia and double minor giveaway nick i suppose i can give a little bit of an interesting story um speaking of my dog just thinking of i was thinking about this as i was hiking uh earlier this week because the weather has been so beautiful it doesn't really have so much to do with my dog but um this this story is 100 absolutely true i was with my dog and my dad and we were walking there's a trail that goes around the lake that we live on we live on a small lake that's surrounded by state forest land it takes about two hours to kind of walk around it's a very peaceful walk um but we were walking one day i must have been oh maybe seven or eight years old and we're walking up this trail we get through this slough and we're going out of the slough and up a hill and when you get into this this area is pretty much all trees. It's one of the few places in North Dakota that actually has a ton of trees and isn't, you know, just plains and prairie. So we're, we're, we're going through this trail and it's the middle of summer. There's a lot of brush, um, you know, out there. And all of a sudden otter starts barking and we turn, we're trying to figure out what he's barking at. Well, then there's this moose calf that's probably about, maybe 10, 15 yards away, that's walking through the trees. So we're like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And this is before, you know, everybody used to carry, you know, the cell phones and the modern, you know, phones that they used to have now. I mean, we barely had flip phones back then. So we're watching this moose walk and I turn around. I kid you not face to face with another moose calf. Cause there were two of them and we didn't know there were two of them. And I got licked on the face by a moose calf at seven years old. And of course, anyone who knows moose knows that where there are moose calves, mama moose is Mommy's back. somewhere soon. Yeah, yeah. You better get out of there. So of course we hightailed it out of there, but I tell people this story all the time. They're like, no way, man, there's no way that happened. 
swear to God, as my dad is my witness, that legitimately happened. So um, I was thinking about that on my on my hike as um, as I was walking the other day because I was actually walking past the place. I mean, have you ever had anything crazy like that happen in your life where it was like, I can't believe that's just happened? Because I mean, like I said, I tell people this story all the time. They're like, no way, no way that that happened. One hundred percent. How many people on this planet can say they've legitimately been licked by a moose in the wild? Uh, probably not very many that, uh, went unscathed by was probably, right. Um, I would imagine there is, um, you're catching me on a Friday night at eight 11. Again, the 34 year old brain is, is half asleep. That's all right. uh, Um, why don't we'll just move on to trivia. How about that? Yeah, I agree. Let's, let's let's go to uh, trivia. And then obviously our, our two line fan giveaway is uh, this episode as well. And that's uh, exciting. I do remember that part. So that's part's good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we'll jump into uh, our two line fan trivia every Saturday at noon. Your chance to win a Hussies Warming House podcast hat. Two line fan trivia is your chance to win. Follow the Huskies Warming House podcast on Twitter at Warming House Den. A new question will be asked every week. Be the first to tweet us the correct answer. Winners will be mentioned on the show, as well as a chance for prizes and more. One question, one answer, one winner. It's two-line trivia. Nick, this week's two-line fan trivia comes from last week's guests, a pair of guests we had in Jack Ashan and Jimmy Schultz. Everyone but the Radical Husky was eligible this past week. And like we mentioned, Jack Ashan, Jimmy Schultz, two of the best St. Cloud State hockey players to ever play in a Husky uniform. However, which teams did they score their first NCAA goal against? Not their first point. Which teams did they score their first ever goal against? Um, I suppose, Nick, why don't we start... uh, I want to see if you can even take a remote stab here. I'm going to give you a hint. Both Jimmy and Jack's goals did not come against opponents in the NCHC. I'll tell you that much. And they did not come against opponents in the Big Ten. So any other opponent but that. Uh, Wild stab, Jimmy Schultz, October 16th, 2015. Who was his first goal against? Bemidji State? No, but you are in the right conference. Mankato. Uh, that, was, was that was my other pick. <laughs> yeah, was Jimmy Schultz's first goal. And Jack Ashan, uh, barely a year, over a year later on October 29th of 2016. I don't know if you're going to get this one. Who did he tally his first goal against? Let's go since it's that's right around the time that I usually go on East. So let's try Boston College. So we're actually going south, very, very south to a team that we covered quite heavily in the summer, uh, UAH, Alabama Huntsville. So um, this one was kind of interesting. Tinner Heath got half of this answer and pretty much helped out his buddy fight the pants, earn another win to tie for second place on the leaderboard. Um, and both guys actually scored their first goal at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center. So kind of an interesting little side note there. But Nick, that's not the only thing that we have to uh, reward people and have a giveaway with. We also have our double minor giveaway, which normally happens in the first show of every month. But like we mentioned in last week's show, Noah Grant didn't have his poop in a group, essentially. So we're going to get to it right now. We're going to give away uh, two Huskies Warming House podcast t-shirts. Just a note from the last time, we have three new people that are not eligible to win a t-shirt anymore. They are at Hockey IQ Academy, a.k.a. Tony Gruba, at Gina Carlson, and at AJK Huskies, as AJK Huskies was the winner of our, essentially who was going to score the first goal in the pod um, 
he was one of the two correct answers in that. So just so you are aware of that, let's jump over to the board right now. And we have 335 names that are eligible for this one, Nick. I always like to see that list growing uh, close to 400 followers now. So let's get right to it and pick our two winners. Our first winner here is going, oh my goodness. How about this one, Nick? Oh. Tyler, Tyler, <laughs> Tyler, Tyler Anderson. <laughs> that's uh, that's actually you know, that's really funny that's actually pretty funny yeah uh well congratulations tyler anderson tyler anderson great friend of the show uh also been playing pretty well in the pod if i might add uh um always happy to yeah I'll, <laughs> we're gonna get to that in a little bit too i think nick um but congratulations tyler anderson you are a winner of a husky's warming house podcast t-shirt uh the other winner that we are having is at Phil 23 Murray. Um, he is our second winner. I believe his bio says something about being really good at rec hockey or something like that. So congratulations to our two winners here, Nick, uh, Phil 23 Murray and T underscore Andy eight, otherwise known as Tyler Anderson, Nick, how about that? Tyler Anderson. <laughs> I mean, talk about, talk about giving back to the boys a little bit here. Um, I mean, I, if, if, if it wasn't a random genuator that you, we were recording that people would think this was like a, you know, a, a rigged election or something like that. So we, um, we've never had discussions about that anywhere around us. Have we? No, not at all. So, <laughs> oh my goodness. Speaking of something that isn't rigged and has been quite a lot of fun so far is the NCHC pod. We're going to cover that as well as a multitude of other topics surrounding women's WCHA hockey and a little bit of NHL news in our centerized view news and notes. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. And on our Center Ice View News and Notes, plenty of outside college hockey news to get to. Uh, first of all, Noah, I want to bring you uh, into the fold here. The ECHL uh, will be starting here soon. And a little bit of an update, uh, the NHL, uh, have some, I guess, news and some not so news that we really need to hear. So uh, let's first start with the leagues outside of college hockey before we bring it back into men's and women's hockey here at St. Cloud State. Yeah, five topics, top, five quick little topics that we have to run through in terms of other news around the hockey world not pertaining to our St. Cloud State Huskies. Like you mentioned, the ECHL starts tonight, Friday, December 11th. Uh, three teams opted out earlier this week from the entire season. That would be Cincinnati, Idaho, and Kalamazoo. Uh, they actually joined the entire North Division of the ECHL. Adirondack, Brampton, Maine, Newfoundland, Reading, and Worcester have all opted out of this year's upcoming 2020-21 season. Uh, that leaves 15 teams that are still playing in the league to start the season tonight. But interestingly enough, Nick, under the ECHL's COVID-19 policy, all players that were on these eight teams that opted out are now free agents. So very, very interesting wow. developments to see how see how teams play that. Uh, kind of an interesting little caveat there. Uh, speaking of caveats, the NHL is still shooting for that January 13th start date, uh, and they submitted a tentative realignment plan for the upcoming season consisting of four divisions. Of course, that all-anticipated Canadian division is one of those divisions. Uh, Minnesota is one of the teams that is reportedly a team that could be moving divisions from what the current setup is right now too. They haven't finalized everything. There's been a little bit of, I don't know. I don't know if you want to call it uproar, but just kind of uh, feelings from some teams that they feel like maybe a couple of, a couple of those squads should shift around to make the divisions um, 
make more sense in terms of travel and things like that. Uh, and even though the border is closed between the United States and Canada, uh, the NHL will not restrict trades between Canadian and American teams. So Canadian and American teams will not play each other in the regular season, but trades can still happen. And reportedly NHL players and owners both have preference for MLB style homestands during this time. And what that means is essentially if you are playing a team within your division, say the Dallas stars are playing the Colorado avalanche, uh, Colorado would go to Dallas and play uh, three or four hockey games against Dallas within a given set. So you're seeing the same opponent uh, repeatedly for basically the better part of a week. So uh, Nick, I mean, do, do you like that MLB style homestand? Uh, do you think it's something that the NHL should adopt beyond this season? Um, or do you think it should be scrapped after this season if they do in fact do it? Well, a, a couple of things here, because first of all, I mean, this is the best they can do without a bubble. And yep. I know that the NHL, um, they are looking for any way they can generate revenue at any point during the season. I think it's important to note that, you know, traveling, as we all know, um, same thing with Josh Fenton, the NCH, he pointed out that's where you have a high risk of possibly a contracting and then spreading COVID-19. So it's a, it's a multitude of different ways of what reasons why you do it. Um, do I think it, sticks past this year. Um, I only think it sticks if you have to, honestly. I don't see this as a long-term solution. This is a Band-Aid over a problem. And just as we anticipate here in the United States, um, the hope of a distribution of a vaccine, I know that the leagues, the NHL is one of them, obviously. And they did mention, Noah, too, uh, briefly, that they would be hoping to uh, acquire a private purchase of COVID-19 uh, vaccines if it was available. They did mention specifically that they weren't going to jump the line to do so. So if it was made available, they would certainly be looking to do so. So that would include coaching staff, uh, that would include upper management, obviously training, uh, equipment managers, obviously medical personnel. Uh, so it's all just trying to get over this hump that we are calling COVID-19. So um, it, it is it is what it is. And the good news is, you know, if we do start to see um, this vaccine being distributed to a point where the NHL can allow fans, you know, even if it is a baseball style, you know, type homestand, uh, if you can sell some tickets, I mean, why not? At the end of the day, I think uh, mm -hmm. fans are just primed to get back into an arena no matter who the opponent is. Yeah, some of those teams, especially those teams out west, like in California, might even have trouble getting into their own buildings currently as far as the structure is concerned. And like you mentioned, the NHL bleeding money a little bit. Have you even considered putting advertising on player helmets similar to what they do in European countries for their types of advertising? So we'll keep you updated on that. Uh, speaking of advertising, Nick, and some old school advertising from the 1990s and our third quick little topic here, Disney has announced a new Mighty Ducks series reboot for a TV series uh, that is set to be created at some point. A release date has not yet been announced. Kind of interesting that the timing almost matches the reverse retro uniforms with the flying duck, Nick. I don't know. Um, I mean, that's all there is on that little tidbit, but kind of cool to think back and think that Gordon Bombay and company might make a, might make a reappearance of some sort. Uh, I, a TV series though. I mean, do you think it's something that would catch on? I don't know. Hard to say. I mean, you talk about some of those old classic movies, and I, I hate to say the word old and date myself, but <laughs> you go back to, you know, Mighty Ducks 1, 2, and 3. I mean, they had their own style, their own theme, and a lot of what, you know, as viewers you attach to is not necessarily the character, but you also attach to an actor too, right? So, mm -hmm. and I say that because, I mean, if if it's not Emilio Estevez, you know, that is coming <laughs> back as Gordon Bombay, you know, maybe a person 
that grew up watching that may not be interested in it, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, I think the idea is great. I mean, it's hockey advertising in a nutshell and it has to happen. So that I'm okay with whether, you know, the viewing audience is intended, will catch on to it. I mean, we probably have to see an episode or two to really know how they're going to play this out. Um, but either way, I'm happy that something revolving hockey in the United States is, is getting to go at another TV series. Yeah, we've seen it go both ways. Some of the slap shot remakes were kind of a bust too. So we've seen it. We've seen it go on the negative side too. Just don't get caught for two minutes for roping. Uh, speak, right. <laughs> speaking of a guy that probably wouldn't make that call here, Nick, Hall of Fame linesman Neil Armstrong, who is the father of Blues general manager Doug Armstrong, did pass away at 87 years old this week. He officiated over 1,700 NHL games and later became a scout for a couple of teams, including the Montreal Canadiens. So our condolences to the Armstrong family. And our last note before we get into some college hockey news, Nick revolves around the great one, a Wayne Gretzky rookie card, 1979 OPG gem mint rookie card has sold today for $1.29 million. Uh, kind of crazy. There are only two of these cards to be of gem mint quality in the world regarding Wayne Gretzky. And it is the first ever hockey card to surpass $1 million and the sixth highest trading card sale of all time, sitting behind LeBron James, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Mickey Mantle, Honus Wagner, and Mike Trout, who leads the leaderboard at a $3.9 million value for his 2009 card. Um, Nick, I've actually kind of read an article too, speaking of COVID, uh, where a lot of people have gotten back, especially in the hockey world, back into trading cards and hockey trading cards. I'm not going to lie. When I was a kid, I used to be kind of into it. Used to go to the store, uh, you know, in the early 2000s, and they used to come in the packs of like, you could get the single packs or the ones like the three deck packs, essentially. Uh, I still have a couple binders of them, probably stuff somewhere in my house. Did you, were you ever a big card collector or know people that are? Yeah, I was actually. Um, back in the day, I definitely had my my upper deck cards for sure. Mm-hmm. I had quite a quite a bit of them actually. Um, and it, it's funny that you know, as a kid, you know, it's trading cards, right? It it, it doesn't really have a, a significant monetary value. You're looking at the back for stats, and you're you know, it's the look in the picture, and you're trying to collect the entire team. And then you see news like today where Wayne Gretzky's uh, a specific gem quality card is selling for one point some odd million and change. And uh, I did ask you if that was U.S. or Canadian. You did confirm U.S. And, uh, you know, if we don't know who the buyer was, maybe it was a Canadian exchange one. And if it was Canadian, probably that's north of close to $2 million uh, Canadian funds. Uh, that, that's a pretty insane uh, amount of money to spend in a training card. But uh, for the great one, uh, I can only imagine that uh, it's out there. I would imagine, I don't know if you would agree with me on this a short little tangent, that Alex Ovechkin, you know, if he does actually get close to his record, maybe even eclipses it, he might be able to challenge him in some time if someone keeps the rookie card for him, maybe for that price point. So um, that's just my thoughts on that. But yeah, I had a lot of trading cards as a kid. Unfortunately, I, I don't I don't think I still have them anymore. Yeah, I definitely uh, totally agree with you that I think that Alex Ovechkin's card could uh, catch a fair price if you do happen to have one in mint condition that happens to be from his rookie year or something like that. I remember, you know, that was kind of the prime of when I was a, a young kid. So Alex Ovechkin, Sidney Crosby, those are the big cards to get and see if you could find them in any sort of pack. So I probably have about five or six of not rookie cards, but just general Alex Ovechkin cards sitting around in a binder somewhere. Um, so, yeah. I, I mean, I kind of, I kind of miss it and I think it's fun to look back a little bit and see 
you know, look back in the binders and think like, why do I have this card? I probably have about 10 copies of Henrik and Daniel Sedin too. Cause once you found one you had to try to find the other one to try to match it up. So uh, yeah, that's a lot of money though, Nick, if anyone wants to loan the Huskies warming house podcast, that same amount of $1.29 million, um, we're not going to complain, but what are we here for, Nick? We're here mainly to talk about St. Cloud State hockey and the meat and potatoes of this segment and something we're really excited to talk about, women's hockey. St. Cloud State currently sitting fourth in the WCHA with a 2-3-1 and one record, uh, technically tied for second if you want to go by just points alone, but of course there's games played and a number of varying factors that do come into account there. The last time St. Cloud State had two conference wins in a season, especially last year, did not come until Valentine's Day weekend, the last week of the regular season. So that tells you right away how much better this St. Cloud State team has gone off to a roll. They're putting the puck in the net and uh, really exciting to see this group really take shape here. Uh, they trail Minnesota and Duluth. They are tied with Ohio State in the standings and lead Bemidji, Wisconsin, and Minnesota State Mankato. Uh, a couple of other statistics to kind of throw around here, Nick. They're 0 for 18 on the power play, but 18 for 19 on the kill. So special teams has not been too much of an issue. Something that we did see a little little bit last year with a penalty kill that was south of 70 or 80 percent i should say in the high 70s uh they had a tough weekend though uh from when we talked last last weekend they were outscored by a combined score of nine to one in duluth but they did bounce back uh thursday and today with an overtime win yesterday and they split today with an overtime loss Today, they were up in Bemidji at the Sanford Center. Yanina Newland does lead the team with five points in six games. To put that in perspective, Nick, she had 13 total points in 30 games last season. So she is almost halfway to her total point total from last year. Uh, very impressive for the Finn. Uh, freshman Emma Gentry scored the overtime winner yesterday and has a point in all three of the games she's played. And Clara Himlarova, Taylor Lind, and Olivia Savar, all sophomores, round out the top five in points. And both goaltenders, Emma Paluzny and Sonia Hola, have a better than a 9-2 save percentage entering their next contest, which will not be until the spring, as they just completed the first half of their season before Christmas break. And we do have uh, Emma Paluzny coming on the show next week, too. So lots to break down there, Nick. I I, I got to say, I mean, I, I got a chance to take in the game a little bit when I was at work today. Unfortunately, like we mentioned, they did lose to Bemidji in overtime, but I tell you what, I mean, there are some players on this team that can just flat out play. And I have just been really impressed uh, with this group. Is there anything that stood out to you that you've really liked about this group or something that I, I don't know if it is really a surprise for you, but something that w you hope to see and has ended up transpiring so far? Yes. Uh, just playing with more speed, you know, just through mm -hmm. all the different zones. You know, if there's one major complaint I had, especially in the offensive zone, was it just looked like, you know, and, and granted, part of that was they were defending so much, they were just tired. Um, I, I just think that, you know, number one, they look faster. I saw the goal of uh, the overtime winner with Emma Gentry. Great play there on the setup there. I believe that was him, Larova, that was on the setup for Emma Gentry's crate between the wickets, five-hole game-winning goal there in overtime. And it, again, it just very crisp passing. Everything was was done with a purpose. You know, it just it almost looked like the, there was no confidence there last year. Um, they seem like a, a team that's believing in themselves. And it, we were talking uh, on a couple of different episodes that this team is due if they can get together, play cohesive. This is a team that will surprise people. We're seeing that. And it's almost too bad, Noah, that we're having this first half, second half season. Because, you know, a split against Bemidji, I think, you know, you talk about a measuring stick. Mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, this weekend we'll start to try to show that 
that could compete with some of the top teams in the WCHA. Um, it, they showed it this weekend, two overtime splits, one win, one loss. Uh, but for me, what's most important is you, when you have those good outings, right, whether it's a win or a loss, they're close, good games, you want to keep you know, you want to keep playing, you want to keep improving. We don't know uh, when they might be back. It could be end of January. It could be February. Again, um, there's some tentative dates that we have gotten, although nothing has been secured as of yet. So we're hoping, and I'm sure the girls are, they're hoping to get back in the ice in competitive play sometime soon. But uh, yeah, it, it's just too bad that, you know, they, they have to stop now because if you're Steve McDonald, uh, Janelle Sergey, uh, and the rest of the coaching staff, you want to keep playing. And I think the girls who want to keep the momentum and try to keep improving every week. I absolutely agree. As you mentioned, too, a couple teams have had hiccups. This was Bemidji's first series of the entire season. Of course, they were slated to play the Huskies back when the Huskies had their own COVID scare uh, earlier in the year. Uh, and then you talk about teams like Wisconsin, who pretty much postponed play through their Christmas break as far as the women's side was concerned. So, uh, yeah, ups and downs, kind of a weird uh, schedule and standings brouhaha if you will just because of the, the variance in terms of scheduling but that's just that's just 2020 for you I, I i gotta say nick and i i just noticed this even more today it was something that i kind of want had in the back of my head and i'm glad you mentioned a measuring stick as far as bemidji state was concerned because we didn't know how they were going to respond after a tough weekend in duluth duluth arguably uh right now they're tied with minnesota for being the best team in the wcha they're a good good hockey team uh, but one player for the huskies that has really stood out to me as good as Yanina Newland has played uh, Taylor Lynn to me right now. I've really liked the way that she's played. And, and the reason, the reason I say that, um, and I don't mean this in a condescending way, uh, last year, she had a very, very good freshman year, but I thought that there were times that when she had the puck, I thought that she maybe didn't play with enough poise. I don't know if she kind of believed in her own ability a little bit, man. I watched her, especially today in that game against Bemidji, there was a play where there were three Bemidji players around her and she had the puck pinned up in the corner where they were killing up a killing off a five on three, just the way that she's played the game this year. You can tell she's a player as well as many other sophomores in this group. They just continue to grow and develop and be so confident with the puck. They are going to be such a deadly unit when it comes to their senior year in a Huskies uniform as they continue to grow. But for me, I mean, she's been really impressive. Olivia Savar, obviously in the top five as well. And she's been really impressive too. Um, I'm just really, I, I mean, I can't even begin to put into words, I think, uh, especially you and I, but especially myself not to take, not to, pointed at me, but covering this women's hockey team and seeing the struggles that they did, just not being able to get over the hump last year and seeing them finally put together all of those things that we listen to Steve and Janelle and Molly talk about every week. It's just so, so satisfying. So I really hope this season gets going right away in January. Cause like you mentioned, it's a long time to wait to see this women's hockey group that really has a lot of potential uh, moving into hockey that we are going to see quite a bit of before Christmas break. That's the men's hockey team. Uh, the only other one in St. Cloud, uh, St. Cloud state is, <laughs> did you like that? I did. <laughs> just for clarification too yeah the only other one that's great yeah well <laughs> hey i mean we should probably cover some saint john stuff too one of these days who knows we probably but, should actually but saint cloud state is third in the nchc in their respective standings and i believe they were ranked 13th in the nation at showtime when i had last look they're three one and oh and they trail minnesota duluth and north dakota but both of those teams each have a game in hand on the huskies huskies getting set to play saturday december 12th against north dakota 
Uh, Omaha and Denver are kind of the next two teams that are in the mix in those standings, followed by Western Michigan and Miami kind of in the bottom tier. And then a Colorado college team that we really haven't seen a whole lot of yet. They're playing tonight against Western Michigan. So uh, they haven't been the strongest team thus far, but again, we've only seen a small sample size from them. Uh, since we talked on the show last week, Nick, the Huskies were 1-0 after that late third period thriller versus Western Michigan. Uh, to recap the week since then, they won a one-goal nail-biter on Saturday versus Denver and took care of Omaha in a fairly tight game with Jackson Castor in net on Sunday. And then they came out really, really flat in a two to one loss against Western Michigan on Wednesday, the second time around. Uh, Yami Cranola, Sam Henches, Nick Perbix, Kevin Fitzgerald, and VT Mietinen round out the top five in points, all have three points on the ledger. Take, or take this one into perspective, though, Nick. The defensive core for the Huskies, 11 points in four games. So you really got to like that from the back end. If you're Dave Shyak and Nick Oliver as assistant coaches running those kind of uh, particulars there, David Rennick owns a nine, 10 save percentage after three contests, Jackson Castor, like we mentioned, did his job against Omaha and every Husky has seen the ice besides netminder, Joey Lamaru to this point in the pod. Uh, Nick, we were really riding high on the St. Cloud state men's team. And then Wednesday rolled around and uh, Twitter blew up. The fans were not happy. Uh, anarchy was happening. I didn't know if we were going to have a Vancouver Gabe Semin riot down here the, in the, the States. The apocalypse was happening. It yeah. Was um, I, I mean, Nick, put this in perspective for fans. I, I mean, what do you like from the Huskies so far? Uh, are the fans concerns warranted? Do we got to relax a little bit? How are you feeling about this group after uh, four hockey games here? First of all, breathe, honestly, breathe. <laughs> um, but First of all, we talked about this in our preview and our game recap uh, just the other couple of days ago. And it's important to note that Western Michigan and St. Cloud, that game was incredibly wide open, right? And Brett Lusson talked about trying to use the defense to try to essentially try to transition the play north to south even quicker. And he wanted to anticipate, which means they were using stretch passes and there were plenty of times where they were catching Western Michigan sleeping, right? Well, Andy Murray is a former NHL head coach. Um, it's a very easy to go back, look at the film and go, okay, this team plays with their strength, which is speed. This, the only way we can do that is we have to clog the neutral zone. We got to clog their long passes. We take that away. We slow them down a little bit and maybe we take them out that way and that's exactly what western michigan did now the good news is for huskies fans is that you can usually make adjustments back the other way right you bring up all five players as a unit against shorter passes you don't maybe stretch the ice a little bit um so there's a couple of things you can do now on the flip side you talk about energy and we talk about how they came out flat right again the huskies goal um against western michigan was essentially if you want to call it garbage time it was Weston. I think 19 seconds left by Nick Perbix. Um, a good shot through a screen, but nonetheless, too little, too late. Um, but Huskies fans need to relax, right? They're three and one. So they're sitting good. And I think, if anything, if you're going to lose a game, you lose the one before you play North Dakota because now you're kind of ticked off at yourself as a player. It's probably a game maybe in your head you thought you maybe should have had. Again, Western Michigan, we know that they've had struggles against goaltending. I think maybe – that's where most of the anxiety from fans is coming from is uh, the two games prior, they lost what eight to two, the nine to one or something like that. I mean, they yeah, were getting out, blown out, out of the building. Out, outscored 18 to four combined within two games, 10 to two and eight to two. 
Right. So, and unfortunately for Huskies fans, you know, they have to understand that they hadn't played those other teams yet. Yes. You know, could you argue that St. Cloud State should have been, you know, more on the aggressive side in that, but, and I would agree with that, but well, Andy Murray in Western Michigan really did a good job defensively, especially on the four check. They had two guys on both defenses. They were really making the breakout difficult. The middle of the ice was clogged up. And unfortunately for St. Cloud, one thing they didn't do well was chip the puck and retrieve it, right? When they did finally get into the zone, they were looking to carry it in. I understand that. And there was only a handful of times in the way I was obviously calling the game, uh, not a lot of sustained zone time. It was a lot of rush plays, no forecheck, no cycle play. So unfortunately, it played right into Western Michigan's uh, game plan, and they just weren't able really to adjust, in my opinion. So good news is that you're winning still in three of the five-on-five battle. If you're going to have a weakness, I know the power play has not clicked yet, but I'd rather have the five-on-five advantage uh, now and let the power play catch up. You don't want to rely on special teams to provide your offense because then, especially for the Huskies, I mean, yes, taking way too many penalties, that doesn't help, uh, but I'd rather have them generate offense at five-on-five than, again, on the man advantage. So there's still a lot of positives here. David Rennick has looked good. I know there's been maybe a couple of questionable goals. We've talked about it. We put that to bed. But overall, from front to back, this team is playing well, and they're going to be tested. Again, number one team in the nation with North Dakota. Again, tomorrow afternoon, it's, an, it's a matinee game. And uh, with a loss before then, I, I just hope it provides them uh, some emotional energy, and they've had two days rest. So, I mean, you can't ask for a better setup, and it's going to be a really good game between the two clubs. I'm really glad you kind of brought up about the play styles and a very textbook game by Western Michigan. And we talked about it in our, in our recap as well, or our breakdown, I should say, uh, you know, this Western Michigan group wasn't going to keel over and they're not a team that's going to lose by the margins that they do ever, that they did in the previous two games. I mean, that's just not going to happen. Uh, like we talked about Brandon Busey or no Brandon Busey, uh, you know, they're going to be a better team. And Andy Murray, you expect that of a coach of that caliber. When you mentioned uh, about, puck possession time and trying to chip pucks in it's a very good point and i challenge i don't challenge people i don't know why i say i challenge people i don't (laughs) i'm not challenging you i like i'm not challenging you i but i but i would love for fans to go back and take a look at the first game that st cloud state played very very wide open game against western michigan at least for the first period uh but even closer to the tail end of that game too and then take a look at wednesday's game and what do you notice about St. Cloud State? Yes, they had better legs that first night, but also every play where there's a loose puck, a 50-50 battle, uh, there's a St. Cloud State that's player that's winning that foot race, and usually they're doing it with numbers. There was usually two guys that were swarming around on the attack there. And you saw St. Cloud State where uh, this is the modern game of hockey, right? If you can hang onto the puck, why give it up? Why why shoot the puck in? You want to enter the zone with numbers, with speed, and with puck possession. And that makes sense. Um, and especially with a team like St. Cloud State, who's not a big team that doesn't probably want to grind out in the corners that much, you know, you want to be a group that's going to possess the puck. But when you look at Western Michigan's defensive adjustment, we talked about uh, kind of essentially that wall almost where you would come in and you would have two Western Michigan players that would step up at the point of attack right in front of the blue line. Well, what does that mean? That means you got to chip the puck in. Otherwise the puck's probably going to get taken away from you because you're not going to win that one-on-one move and come in with any sort of speed or numbers. It's going to be a really difficult zone entry. So what do the Huskies have to do? Well, Common sense in 1980 says that you got to just rip it around the boards and try to have a dump in like that. Well, 
in today's day and age, it doesn't matter if it's Brandon Busey or Austin Kane in net for Western Michigan. They're going back, they're stopping that puck, they're setting up for their defenseman, or the Western Michigan defenseman is going to win that race. So it's all about soft chips. And the Huskies didn't do that enough. Just this little chip that just gets yourself around the defenseman who, when they step up, they're going to be flat footed if you chip the puck around them. Now you've entered the zone with numbers, or they're going to take an interference penalty as you try to step by them. And the Huskies were not willing to when they had limited possession time chip pucks in and try to create a little two-on-one essentially or a mini cycle zone entry if you will uh, because they either tried to force the play by possessing the puck or they just tried to rip it into the zone instead of a nice soft float to where a teammate could get to it and that was an adjustment that I don't know if St. Cloud was gripping the sticks too tight or what, whatever it was, but that's the biggest thing for me, especially with a group like North Dakota, North Dakota is going to be a team that not only are they going to be stepping up, they're going to be taking the game like in your face. They're not stepping up for the purpose of, I think Western Michigan was kind of just holding on for dear life a little bit and just trying to stymie the offense. If North Dakota takes the puck away from you, you can be darn sure there's going to be two other guys with that person who has the puck just like that. I mean, they're such a good hockey team. So Huskies fans, like you mentioned, got to relax, but you also got to understand what both sides of it go into for the St. Cloud state. There's some adjustments that St. Cloud has to do, but then there's other things that, I mean, this is the NCHC, arguably the best league in college hockey. Teams are going to make adjustments. Overall, I've liked the way that the Huskies have played. We've mentioned this before, up and down the lineup, as far as freshmen to seniors, every player basically has played well for the majority of time, except for a handful of spots on Wednesday. I've liked the production and the contribution from, again, forwards, defensemen, goaltenders have done their job. There's a lot to look forward to with this St. Cloud state men's team, if they continue to play the way that they are. So I guess I just, I encourage fans to stay engaged. I think it's funny when, honestly, when we go on Twitter and we see people, Oh, they gave him a goal. I, I can't bring myself to watch this Huskies team. I can't share this Huskies team. Like n- name, name me any Huskies team besides maybe the team from 2018, 19, and maybe even the group before that, that just was so dazzling with that wow factor that they just walked all over teams. That doesn't happen in college hockey hardly anymore, especially with the parody that goes on. You're going to have ups and downs. You're going to have ebbs and flows. And what did that team two years ago against AIC show us? Maybe a little bit of adversity isn't the worst thing in the world. And right now the Huskies, very tough schedule in the pod, only going to continue against North Dakota, but I like their chances, Nick. I do too. And again, you know, you talk about rebounding, right? Responding uh, to that loss against Western Michigan. Um, they're going to have to, because again, North Dakota, very aggressive for checking team. They cycle the puck. What North Dakota does so well is when they're, especially in the offensive zone, we were seeing this uh, in their own building last year was the second and third man support on the offensive forecheck and then using their defenseman is almost like a fourth forward. Sometimes they play a very NHL, very aggressive style where their defensemen are so speedy with their feet and they're so smart reading the play that they can afford to pinch low because the forward's going to come back and cover. So there's always support back when you basically can seal every single passing option out of your zone. So it's going to be a suffocating forecheck. For, for St. Cloud on Saturday, if we're going to do like a mini little uh, prediction here for me is that they have to be poised with the puck in the back end. Again, uh, I would say shrink the ice a little bit too. You're not going to be able to stretch North Dakota for a 50 to 60 foot pass. It's going to have to be 10, 15 foot passes come up the ice as a unit, especially if they're going to force you to soft dump it. Make sure you have support two or three guys 
they'll flip it up into the air for that soft dump, but come and make sure you have speed when you dump it. So that way you make North Dakota's defense turn. They give up the blue line and at least you're creating the 50, 50 battle and not allowing them, like you mentioned, to do a hard bolt where they're easily going to be the first one in the puck. And then it's just a quick transition back defensively for the Huskies. That to me is going to be big. And then of course, with any good team, you have to possess the puck in the offensive zone, make them defend. And obviously, you know, get shots on that Adam shield. Again, we know he's good uh, in that, between the pipes from North Dakota. So keep it simple. And uh, again, just take what they're giving you, but don't try to force it, especially at either blue line, because North Dakota is too good. They'll make you pay for every mistake. I believe within a week's time, if I'm not mistaken, I definitely could be. They play at least three games, if not four. Is it four? I can't remember. I'm trying to remember. I think it's only three. And regardless, I would say the next four games that the Huskies play, um, I think it's imperative for them to at least be 500, if not better. I think if you're 500 or better in the next four games for St. Cloud State, you put yourself in a really, really good position entering the last week and a half of the pod and entering the end of the first half of the regular season. But with that, Nick, uh, we have a player that uh, entered the first half of her post-collegiate playing career and a friend and colleague of ours in the media side, the always smiling and always happy and energetic. Uh, Rachel Herzog joined us, of course, spent four seasons with the single state women's hockey team uh last year was her senior year and now she's in the media world for her super senior year nick um yeah i mean what can people expect from rachel i to me honestly every time i see her just an absolute blast to be able to talk to a uh, very outgoing personality she's bubbly uh incredibly intelligent uh and definitely someone that has um you talk about a, i guess a blooming flower if you want to call it for someone who, who and she'll tell you about this who is essentially switched majors she was mm-hmm. in a different one switched to this uh, not easy to do especially the timing that she did it and has essentially taken the baton and a relay per se and has run with it and has done an incredible job yeah Absolutely. We're, I don't know, Nick, I got to stop saying absolutely. Can we just, can we, can we put that on record right now? So people know that I have to stop doing that every time. I think someone, some dedicated Huskies warming house podcast fan, every time I say absolutely in an episode, someone tally it for me. So I know how many times I do it. I think that would be a great challenge for somebody, but anyway, this one was not a challenge. This one was a lot of fun. Our friend and colleague, Rachel Herzog. With a new guest joining every week, it's a lineup chock full of players, coaches, fans, and more. This week's special guest is the Healthy Scratch. And welcome to this week's Healthy Scratch interview segment. Joining us today is current Husky Productions member and former St. Cloud State women's hockey defenseman, Rachel Herzog. Rachel, again, thank you so much for joining us this week. Thanks for having me, guys. Rachel, I want to start out a little bit by, by just kind of poking fun at you a little bit, just because I had the <laughs> opportunity. To, I, we talked to you a couple of different times. I actually did a segment for you uh, on your senior video. And one of the, the resounding themes from you was uh, the movie Miracle was just an absolute treachery for you. Yet in, in a recent <laughs> post, you had made a miracle connection for the coat you wanted to call the Yami Karandala, the Eastern Brodzinski, and the VT Mietnan line, the Conehead line. Tell me what in the heck is going on with that? Well, I always hated Miracle when I was younger because my older sister started playing hockey before I did. And my dad played hockey all growing up, played in college at Augsburg University. So that was something that they connected on on a different level that I hadn't gotten to yet. And so all we did was either watch Wild Games, watch Miracle on repeat. And so it was just like an irritating movie, irritating memory until I actually got myself into hockey 
And then I started to appreciate the movie more. Now I could say I've seen it a hundred times. I know literally every single line of the movie. Um, but it was cool kind of relating that to the, the line you just mentioned with Yami, Viti and Easton, because that in that game against Omaha, they seemed to click so well and they kind of just always were able to find each other on the ice. So that was just kind of a natural connection I made. Let's kind of talk a little bit more too about how you got in the game of hockey. You and I actually have a personal connection that you didn't even know about until last year. Uh, your dad and my dad actually played high school hockey together at Henry Sidley High School. But like you mentioned, hockey didn't come naturally for you like most Minnesotans who grow up on the ponds, essentially being born with hockey skates on their feet. Uh, when did you finally decide that you wanted to be a hockey player instead of uh, a non-hockey player? I think I decided after being um, around the rink all the time at my sister's games and my dad was her coach and he had coached for many years prior to that. And he just asked me every year if I wanted to play and I denied him a few times, but I think the more that I was around the rink and the more I was kind of getting a feel of like, Oh, maybe if I don't enjoy watching it that much, maybe I'll be having more fun playing it. So I kind of gave it a shot around nine or 10 years old. So I got into it a little later than the average Minnesotan, like you would say, who starts skating at two or three years old which is beyond me crazy to think a two-year-old can skate I don't know um but I had I had learned to skate before that because my house my oldest house we had a pond out in our backyard so I had learned how to skate before I just had never gotten into hockey so skating was my strongest suit when I got into hockey around nine or ten years old I just did still didn't know how to stop that was a gong show could not do that for the life of me I would run into the boards to stop. But well, funny story, that. funny story. My coach, my first year of hockey, because I didn't know how to stop. He's like, all right, Rachel, do you have a hallway in your house? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, is it hardwood? And I said, yes, of course. He's like, okay, you're going to run up and down your hallway in your socks and you're going to slide your feet at the end to kind of get like the stopping motion down. So then I was running up and down my hallway back and forth, sliding my feet to kind of get that stopping motion down and that therefore translated onto the ice. And that's officially how I learned how to stop on hockey skates, which is one of my favorite memories. And I joke about it with that, that coach all the time. I, I don't think Nick and I still know how to stop. And we've been doing this for over 20 years. Hockey's a struggle for us, <laughs> I think, sometimes. But uh, speaking of stopping, uh, you stopped your high school career with 31 points in your final two seasons as a Hill Murray pioneer, uh, winning your way to a couple of high school state championships. The first year, you guys were kind of underdogs. And the second year, uh, maybe not so much. But can you kind of talk about your high school days at Hill Murray, winning those state championships, and then you know, going from that first championship to the second championship, uh, like we, like I just mentioned, you were underdogs the first year. Was the second year almost harder uh, because you're not going in as wide-eyed as you did in the first year, or were they both equally challenging? Well, kind of going back to your first couple questions, I had an amazing career at Hill Murray. All around, just the school in general was a great experience, great people, um, got a really good ed education there as well. So I overall really enjoyed my experience there, but I think the team chemistry that we had all four years um, in my career there were, it was a really tight knit group and we were together all the time. And I think that translated a lot onto the ice as well. Um, I would say that we spent a lot more time together than the average team in, in high school. Um, and it just being a smaller school in general, you're just around each other a lot more often. I mean, and my graduating class was 120. So not a big, not a big school at all. So we were always around each other, had a lot of classes together, but 
yeah, going to that my sophomore year when we won our first uh, state championship, I mean, our freshman year, we got second place. So we were kind of nipping at the heels on that year and ready to kind of go for it my sophomore year. But we were definitely the underdogs. I think we were ranked fifth or sixth out of eight um, that year. So we were definitely kind of coming up on the back end and kind of made a good run toward the end. So every game in the state tournament was kind of like, oh, all right, we, we got game one under our belt. And then the semi the semifinal game was like, oh my gosh, okay, we're in the state final. And I remember my favorite memory from that was my head coach hadn't won a state championship yet. And he had a bunch of little mini water bottles. And I remember going out in the hallway to like take a breather or something in the intermission. And he's like guzzling these tiny water bottles. Cause he's just like panicking, like freaking out. Like it, it was so close and we were all feeling that energy and the feeling after we won that first state championship was surreal. I definitely think that was, that experience was better than winning it the second time, which you would think, I don't, I don't know if that would be a normal feeling, but definitely coming from behind and we beat Benilde, who was a top, top ranked team. Um, that was just a really encouraging feeling. And they had a lot of division one commits at the time. So I don't know, for me personally, it was really cool because I had just started my kind of like college pursuit at that point and kind of looking up to those top top tier players and being like, wow, sh okay, she's going to the Gophers. Okay, she's going to Wisconsin, Penn State. And like, we can play with those kinds of players. So it kind of gave me self-motivation too, to be like, okay, well, if I can play against these players, it kind of like propelled my hopes and dreams for going to college. Um, but that second year, definitely we were more of a powerhouse team. Um, and going into the state tournament, we had a lot more confidence knowing that um, and kind of already having that full state tournament experience. Um, we weren't so like nervous and wound up. I think we just like had more poise and control over what we were going through and winning it the second time was obviously amazing too. Um, but definitely that first experience was one that I will literally never forget. Rachel, you mentioned about being awestruck with some of the talent. And I remember talking to your, your dad, Mark, about, you know, your entrance into the world of hockey. Again, kind of a late bloomers, as someone would call it, eight to nine years old, he starts skating. But it was being awestruck. It was actually watching one particular player uh, that he mentioned by name, a future Olympian, that really almost, you know, kind of propelled you also to initially get into the game of hockey. Can you talk, talk, talk to us a little bit about watching this person skate and why this person inspired you to almost kind of put you on top to actually try hockey out for the first time. Yeah. So that player was Hannah Brandt and she went to Hill Murray and I was at the time of my life. So I was in eighth grade um, at a public middle school um, in my area. And my dad, that was kind of when I kind of was figuring out like, Oh, okay. Like I'm okay at hockey, like this and that, whatever. Um, but the public school I would have went to was Tartan. And I had just switched from my private elementary school to middle school. So I had already developed all these new friendships and all of those same people were going to be going to Tartan. So I was pretty set on going to Tartan because I was like, I don't want to leave and make new friends again. Like I'd rather just go with my friends, whatever, like, cause hockey wasn't still really in the forefront of my mind yet. It was still just, okay. Something I did in the summers and just like how I played soccer, I did soccer fall, winter, spring, kind of all year round. So it was, wasn't any different. I didn't focus on it any more than I did soccer at the, at the time. Um, but I think he focused more on my future potential for hockey. And he wanted me to go to Hill Murray, which is a more elite school. 
And so he kind of put that in my brain and I was like, I don't want to go there. And he finally took me to a, a Hill Murray hockey game. And that was Hannah Brandt's senior year, I believe. So I was in eighth grade. She was a senior. So I never got a chance to play with her. Um, but I remember just being, like you said, starstruck by her because she was just so unbelievably talented. I think at that point in my career too, I was still a forward. Um, so watching her play, I think she got four goals that year, that game. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want to be Hannah Brandt. I want to go to this school. They developed her to be the player that she is. Like if these are the players they're producing, I want to be that. And I remember that was initially when I asked my dad, okay, I want a shooting tarp in my basement. I need to shoot pucks every day. I need to stick handle every single day. I need like one of those weight things where you like stick your wrists out oh, and you roll up the yeah. weight. Like I need to get strong. Like how do I be like her? So I think she was just like the first player that I saw, like with my own eyes, like, obviously, yes, I watched NHL players. I watched miracle over and over and over again, but like, this was the first tangible person that was a girl and went to a school that was a possibility for me where it kind of allowed me to relate to it a lot more and see like the actual potential of getting to that point. Um, and then I followed her along as she went to the university of Minnesota as well, became an all American there. And then uh, an Olympian. So she was always somebody that I looked up to, but she was definitely my first hockey inspiration. Those wrist rollers are an absolute killer. Let me tell you. Oh, they're <laughs> horrible. <laughs> they are. I didn't even have a weight for it. Like we didn't have weights in our house. So I literally filled up two milk jugs with water and tied them to a hockey stick. And that's what I would roll up. Yeah, we um. So when I was a kid, we had one of those little, um, just a little five pound weights that you would have the little circle ones, and yep. but we didn't we didn't have any strings, so we just used like shoelaces, and we just tied yep. a shoelace onto like a wooden dowel and did that. But obviously, it didn't get me anywhere because uh, I don't play hockey anymore. <laughs> but uh, speaking of the Gophers and arrival of the Gophers, Rachel, uh, a player that you played with that ended up on the Wisconsin Badgers uh, was a, your D partner in high school. That was Mackenzie Stefan. Um, can you kind of talk a little bit about? Uh, uh, what kind of influence she had on you as well. When you talk about that you were at that age uh, where you didn't quite know that hockey was going to be at the forefront of your mind. And then you develop as you continue through high school. I mean, what influence did she have to kind of let you know that, yeah, I can play hockey at an elite level and um, be really good at this. Yeah. So she actually came into Hill Murray as a sophomore. So I had already been on the Hill Murray team as a freshman and she kind of joined the team a little bit later than normal. And I remember the first experience that I had with her was in school and I met her and she was crying at her locker <laughs> and I was like, are you okay? And she was like really stressed out because she was trying to decide whether she should, she should commit to either UMD or Wisconsin. And I'm like, you're 15. Like, how are you making this decision already? <laughs> and like, this was before I even had done any college visits, like looked at anything, like even had thought about college yet. And she was feeling the weight of trying to decide where she wanted to go to school. And I was like, Oh my God, this girl must be really good. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, she was definitely a force to be reckoned with in high school. She was a very, very dominant defenseman, very offensive, powerful. She was really strong. Um, and we actually laughed about it because we had played each other, played with each other once before in a Minnesota selects hockey tournament. And we didn't really remember it at the time. And then once we reconnected in high school, we were like, oh my gosh, we were on the same team. Um, and 
now that I think about it, she was amazing then too, but I didn't make the connection until I was back in high school, but she being able to play with her. And then eventually throughout the summers too, we played on the same Minnesota Whitecaps team, the junior Whitecaps, and we played together then too. So being able to compare myself to her or grow through her and her talents. And she respected me as a player too. And we fed off each other really well. Um, I just think I, learned a lot from her and she was also very very humble as well like she didn't talk about herself she didn't think too highly of herself never had a big head but definitely was very talented very early on in her hockey career and to kind of wrap up a little bit of high school questions for you i believe you played in a couple of uh, what you would call i guess winter classics of some sort uh some outdoor games essentially can you kind of talk about those experiences too because i personally have never played in an outdoor game nick i don't know if you have they're becoming a little more popular but you got to think back you know this is uh this is a, a a fair amount of time ago before you know outdoor games at the youth level were uh, more popular so can you kind of run us through uh, what those experiences were like as well we never actually played in outdoor games in high school, um, but we had a tournament that we played in every year um, called the Winter Classic. There you go. That's what in, it was. Yeah, we <laughs> played in South St. Paul. And so it was a tournament with a couple of the teams in our league or our conference, but also um, some single A and double A teams from outside of our conference as well. So that was just something that we participated in every year. And that was a really fun tournament just because it kind of separated you from just the basic conference play kind of was like that breakup between, okay, the first half of your season, and then you had the tournament and then you kind of had the second half leading into conference play section play, and then hopefully the state tournament. So it was a good little change up. Well, you had to walk through the parking lot. You had to be outside at some point, right? That's an outdoor right. tournament, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right. Dead in the winter, you yeah. get out of the rink and it's even colder outside the best feeling ever. <laughs> You know, it's funny, Richie, you look back and, you know, you're not playing anymore and it's, it's a sad thought, but you know, now that you're not playing, I mean, I certainly look back and mind you, uh, my records of playing are on uh, hieroglyphics and we're still trying to translate those at the moment but <laughs> at the end of it. I mean, it's those weekend tournaments or holiday tournaments that you kind of look back and you go, man, those are so much fun, whether it's, you know, the, the, the mini sticks or the knee hockey and, and the hotel hallways or the, the times at the pool, I, I guess, you know, looking back on your youth careers, some of those weekend tournaments or holiday tournaments, you know, sometimes they're your best hockey memories moving forward. Oh, for sure. I, I was the girl that always wanted to be swimming. Let me tell you, I was a fish until I was about 17 years old. Like I always loved swimming. I was always trying to get my teammates to come swimming with me. But if I didn't, if nobody wanted to be with me, I was in the pool by myself. Okay. So that was the highlight of my youth hockey tournaments for sure. And also running in the hallways in hotels. Come on. You're like flying. You're like dash from the Incredibles. Like it's a whole new energy in those hallways. I don't know what it is but I think it might be the patterns that are on the carpet in there. I don't know, but it makes you feel like you're 10 times faster than you actually are. <laughs> now, was so it I definitely had a lot of energy as a kid. Was it the swim pool or, you know, you said you were fish until 17. Did, did it kind of morph to the hot tub or then uh, what changed, uh, you know, as, as Rachel got older? Probably the metabolism kind of dropped down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like at you some point you're just going to have to grow out of it. You know, speaking of metabolism, Rachel, I, I got a chance to catch up with you around this time about a year ago, and you had mentioned to me that you love sushi, but you didn't get to cook it as much because you had just gone on a vegan diet. Um, you love to cook as well. Um, has the pandemic changed that at all, or is the vegan diet still going strong? The vegan diet is still going strong, but 
you were, when the interview happened last year, I was really dead strong into not cheating ever, but I let myself cheat when it comes to sushi because it's my favorite food. And I actually just had it tonight. We made it homemade <laughs> as a family. Um, so that's the one area where I'll let myself have fish for sure. But other than that, yes, I am still standing strong with the vegan diet. So if, if you were to sell somebody uh, on the vegan diet, like, like if you, if Nick Maxson walks up to you and says, Rachel, I'm thinking about going vegan. What can you tell me? What are the pros and cons? Um, I mean, what would you tell them? What would you tell our listeners? Uh, why should we go vegan? Well, I initially went vegan because I was a vegetarian before and my coaches last year, two of them were vegan. And so they kind of told me the pros and cons for athletes, um, inflammation, um, bloating, recovery time. Those were really big things that were pertaining to me at that point in my life. Um, but I definitely feel like after doing it for about a year now, um, I naturally have more energy. That's a really big thing. Um, just feeling naturally clean. Um, you're just like digestive systems, just really natural, I guess. Um, and you never are feeling sick or like heavy after you eat, you know, like say Thanksgiving when you're just like sitting on the couch, you got to unbutton your pants. Like you never feel that way. Um, so it's just, um, overall just like really knowing that you're putting good things in your body all the time and being able to do that every day. And it's kind of a good feeling to know that like you can cut those things out and not miss them. That's a really big thing. Cause I thought it was going to be really hard for me to cut out ranch dressing. Oh my God. That was like impossible for me at the time. I was like, I can't not have ranch dressing, but now I don't really think about it anymore just cause you go through the motions and eventually it just becomes habit and it's things that you don't end up missing. So it's kind of a good, like self-discipline type thing too. It sounds like a, a pretty good medical analysis from you. And I, and I bring that up only for one <laughs> specific point here, a uh, year in year, what would you call it? I guess your, your super senior year, essentially doing a lot of good work in the media world. Um, but listed in your player bio originally, I, uh, yeah. Um, Still there. <laughs> And I quote, intends on majoring at pre-med at St. Cloud State. Um, Rachel Herzog, I don't know if anyone's known this by now. She does the WCHA Weekly Roundup. She is not a pre-med major. Uh, she, does, <laughs> she does media. So um, like you mentioned, you have family in med school as well. Uh, what happened, Rachel? You know, I was trying to follow along in my older sister's footsteps. Um, I, in high school, really enjoyed anatomy classes, chemistry, math. Um, those were my strong suits and things that I took interest in. So that was all that I really knew um, going into college. And so that's what I intended for. But then I realized how social I am <laughs> and I need to be around people all the time. I thrive off of other people's energy. It's just how I operate through everyday life. And when I was going to class and sitting in lecture halls, by myself, taking notes, leaving class, going to hockey, and then going to the library by myself for hours on end. I was like, I am literally never around anyone. And so it wasn't that I thought it was too hard or too much work. I just felt like it wasn't something that was natural for me. I had more to give in different realms of my personality um, and what I felt like I needed um, to make me happy. Um, so that's kind of why changed routes after after sophomore year into the media broadcasting world. Rachel, to follow up on that, you know, obviously you were playing and going to school for a couple of seasons uh, and now uh, your playing career is over. So it, it, has it changed a little bit for you now that you're only able to really experience the game from a media perspective um, and I guess has your viewpoint of the game and, and do you miss it? Do you miss going back on the ice and, and having that competitive edge? 
Um, I definitely, in some aspects, miss playing hockey. Um, I think I more miss the, once again, being around my teammates and being around the coaches and having just that time where you're with people for four or five hours out of the day. That was kind of the highlight for me going to the rink every day is being around my friends and being able to play hockey with my friends. And I think that's what kind of drove my love for hockey, just because it allowed me to meet so many new people. I mean, the hockey world, everybody always says it's so small, but you know people from all over the place. And I think being able to play in the summers in high school and playing on a bunch of different teams and then going to college and meeting the teams that you play against and the hotels and stuff. I think the biggest thing that I miss the most isn't necessarily playing hockey, but the things that come from being a part of the sport. Um, but yeah, from time to time, I am a very, very competitive person. So even when I'm watching hockey, I'm screaming at my TV because I get worked up about the tiniest little things. Um, but I definitely appreciate being able to still be around the sport by being on the other end and appreciating it from a different perspective, for sure. Speaking about screaming at the TV, Rachel, uh, we talked <laughs> we talked to you a little bit. Pre what a transition, right? We talked we talked to you pre-show about uh, kind of the toll that it's taken uh, in different realms of our lives as far as the pandemic is concerned. And one of those things that you had mentioned was you might be screaming at your TV occasionally because you've been cooped up so much and you're a very social person. Uh, what have you done to keep busy during this uh, essentially COVID summer and COVID fall? Uh, we mentioned the WCHA Roundup year, I believe, in your is it your third year? doing my that? second year second year, second year. Yeah. but yeah. it's but it's been kind of a very uh awkward transition just because of the state of the wcha how have you been able to keep busy and keep yourself uh, uh mentally sane if you will i so I, i'm obviously in a couple more shows with husky productions and in athletics with scsu but i definitely come to and from school a lot um i only live an hour away so I come home and visit my parents because they are empty nesters. So I know they miss me <laughs> Free food, but my two, my, and free food. Don't have to buy groceries, come home and mooch off your parents. That's what you're supposed to do until you absolutely need to get off the rack. But my younger sisters are here too, but hobbies wise, I really, really like to cook. And I like to paint a lot as well. That was something that I kind of lost touch with a little bit. Um, but in the recent past, I've been getting myself back into that kind of a, as a time passing, time passer, I should say. And yeah, I mean, there's not a whole lot to do up in St. Cloud right now with not playing hockey and everything being online and hockey finally getting started for the media side. So things are just starting to pick up. But yes, there was a definitely, there was definitely a lull moment. Is there a, speaking of painting, cause I also love to paint and draw as well. Is there, is there a certain, are you a canvas painter, watercolor painter? And like, what do you like to paint? Are there particular things? Like for me, I usually draw a lot of hockey players and old trucks. Cause I don't know, that's just my childhood. So <laughs> uh, is there anything specific that Rachel Herzog is painting? Um, I definitely stick to canvas painting. Um, I have a bunch of them hanging up in my uh, college room. Uh, and I think I started with a painting of a lion and that was a couple years that was a while ago and that, you can kind of see the evolution of my progress from painting um from the first one to the last one I did um but I have a bunch of different like colorful animals up on my wall but then I did a huge one this past summer of Tony Stark Ooh. because rest in peace <laughs> love yeah. him um but I did this huge shrine of him and so I think it's like three or four feet tall and that took like 50 something hours and I did it in three days. So I'm kind of, uh, when I, when it comes to painting, I'm like, all right, if I'm going to start, I'm not stopping until yep. I'm done. 
because I know if I stop, I won't start again. <laughs> so I just need to get it done. Is I uh, is Marvel better than DC and is Iron Man your favorite character? Because for me, Iron Man was my favorite character growing up. Do you have a favorite superhero? I mean, what are what are we talking Iron Man. about? Iron Man. I yes. love him. Yes, he has definitely been my favorite ever since the beginning. Um, I have a huge, huge appreciation for all of them, but I'm just a very big Marvel geek in general. But I think he's my original favorite superhero and always will be. I, I think the cool thing about Iron Man that I always liked as a kid anyway was the fact that everyone else is kind of trying to hide their identity. And he's just like, no, I'm Iron Man and you still can't do anything about it. That's what I always yeah. loved, loved about Iron Man. But uh, speaking of a role that you're going to keep doing and no one's going to tell you any different is the WCHA Roundup that we've mentioned a couple of times. Uh, you're getting to the tail end of that. But uh, like like we mentioned, you've been doing it for a while. Uh, what has that experience kind of given you? How did that first come about? And uh, um, what what is expected through the rest of the year um, for the WCHA Roundup? Well, I got the opportunity presented to me last year as a senior and also playing in the WCHA and being a media student, they kind of seize the opportunity of having the experience of having somebody on camera that also plays in the games as well. So has kind of a different perspective than just somebody coming in and recapping the games just by watching them on the weekend. So um, it gave me more of an opportunity to learn more of like the behind the scenes type of media rather than just being on the front of the camera. Um, but it was also a cool experience for me to kind of report back on the league that I actually play in as, in as well. But now it's a little bit different now that I'm not playing. Um, and with COVID restrictions, it's looking a little bit differently. But all in all, it's been a good experience. And I appreciate everybody that works over there. They treat me really well and give me a lot of flexibility to do what I want to do with the videos. Um, so I appreciate that a lot as well. Rachel, just a couple more questions. Uh, I only have one uh, just for me. And, and again, thank you for joining us. Um, you know, as a media student, again, you're, you're doing a whole bunch of things right now related to hockey, but has Rachel Herzog thought about what her future might look like in the media industry? Is there a particular position that, you know, screams that this is what I want to do? Or is it still kind of up in the air? Is she trying to figure out maybe a long-term career path that you might want to uh, proceed with? Um, I'm really trying to keep my mind open. Um, I still think I have a lot to learn and I'm open to learning a lot more. Um, and especially because I joined the major late, I've only had two years of experience so far. This is my third. Um, so I still feel like I'm a little bit behind the eight ball compared to a lot of the people that I'm working with. But I think that gives me more motivation to continue to get better and push myself harder. Um, Career-wise, like I said, I was trying to keep my mind open, but I definitely want to work in hockey or with a hockey team specifically. Um, I don't really have any interest in being like a sports anchor for a news station. I'd rather specifically work for a particular team and follow that team throughout the season. That would be a personal goal, um, whether it's an ice side reporting job or an in-studio kind of recapping highlights type thing. But I'm trying not to be too close-minded because – I definitely know it's a hard industry to get yourself into. And there's definitely some stepping stones that need to be taken to get where you potentially want to be. Um, so I don't want to be too closed off on any potential ideas that could come my way. 
And to follow up on that quickly, Rachel, if if all 32 teams, which would be 32 coming up uh, this summer with Seattle entering the frame, as mm-hmm. indicated, there was Noah Shirt. Uh, to me, it's a great logo, great name. Uh, but if all 32 teams came calling for you to be a part of their uh, a part of their broadcast team, is there anyone particular that you might choose first? Do you have an inkling, or you know, could, you're just going to take whatever you get? But I imagine you probably have a couple of teams that you would probably want to work for more than others. I think just for nostalgic purposes, I would like to work for the Minnesota Wild. And because a lot a lot of my family is in Minnesota, and I think just staying in Minnesota, kind of working for that home team would be really, really rewarding. Um, but my other favorite team is the Pittsburgh Penguins, and I think it would be really good, cool to kind of travel out east and kind of experience life on the East Coast because I've been stuck in the Midwest my whole life. Not that it's a bad thing. The Midwest is great, whatever, but like getting new experiences and getting out there and um, kind of doing life on my own. That's kind of um, intriguing to me as well. A little bit scary, um, but definitely Pittsburgh Penguins has been the other team that I grew up kind of enjoying. Sidney Crosby. Oh my God, loved him. He was like my first idol in the NHL world. So I think that would probably be my second team that I definitely would take that job instantly. (laughs) I've only got a couple more questions for you, Rachel. And again, like Nick mentioned, thank you for joining us. Uh, hockey aside, uh, if a media job took you anywhere in the world, where would you want to end up and why? Is there a particular vacation destination you want to go? Because I, 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 as much as you love the Penguins, I can't believe your end goal is to end up in Pittsburgh. <laughs> anywhere in the world for a job or yeah. for a vacation purpose? Well, I, I spoke, I, why, why can't you work where you're having a vacation? I don't, I don't. Oh no. Uh, I'm actually, this is actually an unpopular opinion, but I'm scared to live in a foreign country. (laughs) I would never do it. I think it's very intimidating. I think I could handle myself for like a month or two, but I would, if they speak a different language and I have no idea what's going on, that really stresses me out because I like to talk as you can tell. So if I can't communicate with people with ease, I think that would really stress me out a lot. Um, not okay. that other pe- uh, countries don't speak English. I'm sure a lot <laughs> of them do. Montreal, they're in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Vancouver would be beautiful. I would like to work there. Did you know that Vancouver's in another country, Rachel? Yeah, I know. I, that's why I said it. It's a realization. <laughs> I'm just saying. Okay, well, maybe you will end up in Pittsburgh. Maybe I am mistaken. Um, but speaking of speaking of Pittsburgh, on the other side of that is uh, the Philadelphia Flyers and uh, one of the best to come out of St. Cloud State in uh, Katie Emmer. Is there any particular broadcast person, broadcast team, uh, media corporation that you really look towards to kind of emulate or really try to build your skill set off of is there anyone that you look to in the media world that has been a really strong influence for you oh definitely and it is katie emmer um she (laughs) obviously was an alum at saint cloud state um but she was the one that kind of pushed me into the tv realm um she always hung out in our um locker room lounge when she was the ice side reporter for Husky Productions. And so our team would obviously be at the games and we come in and out for intermission out of our lounge and we would always talk with her. And I told her that I was wanting to switch my major, but I had no idea what I wanted to do. This was after realizing I absolutely hated biomed with all my life. And she was, after getting to know her a little bit more, she's like, you would do really well in media and broadcasting. And she kind of pushed me to do that. And then at that point in my life, I had absolutely no idea what any of that was. It was foreign that never even crossed my mind. And she kind of took the time to 
show me around studios and kind of give me the insight on what she does and what she likes about it. And I really had no other direction to go in. So I kind of went into it blind and she's definitely been a mentor for me. I've sent her um, some of my um, highlight reel stuff and asked for criticism or some things that I could work on because she's definitely somebody that kind of took me, she took me under her wing and pushed me to do what I now love. So I appreciate and am so thankful that she did that for me but also how humble she still is now with the amazing job that she has out in Philadelphia. Um, she still keeps a very humble mind and takes the time to help me. So I appreciate that so much about her and she's amazing at what she does. So who wouldn't look up to her? We had Katie Emmer on for episode 21 way back in the middle of the summer. So get a chance to listen to that. Uh, my last question here for you, Rachel, um, and this might jog my memory. So apologies if I'm wrong. If I'm not mistaken, did you happen to do color for a TV broadcast with Nick Maxson? Um, I and, did. And I want I want you to give your assessment of Mr. Maxson. Granted, this was a while ago, but <laughs> what was that experience like? What is Mr. Maxson? Is he the consummate professional? Is he difficult to work with? Um, how was that experience? experience calling that hockey game oh boy honestly that was something that I put out of my mind because I thought I was so horrible at it. <laughs> and I felt like I had so much pressure on me because yes I have the hockey background but the people that were telling me how to do the job or whatever I felt like was really restricting so I felt like I was thinking way too hard and it just didn't go smoothly for me personally but I thought I mean, I thought he did great. I honestly don't have anything negative to say. I think I was just so focused on, okay, what are you going to say next? What are you going to say next? That, oh no. I think, uh, I think uh, you're still with us on our screen, Rachel. So um, I, I think the- Okay, th sorry the about that. I had a- no, that's kind okay. A slight interruption. <laughs> that's okay. You're still with us. Um, I, I think what people don't realize too, and I've never done a TV broadcast. I've done plenty of radio broadcasts with Nick. And that's the thing that scares me as I always tell him is I can think about what I'm going to say about the game, but it's different when you have a producer in your ear the entire night. Um, but right. can you, but can you kind of, I guess for a follow-up question, take us through, um, you know, what that experience is like, or just in media in general, having a producer in your ear. Cause uh, we had Hannah Patrikas on uh, in episode 29 and she actually was the other color analyst that has done a game with Nick as well. And she talked about how it was difficult, especially in the first period to get your groove in. So, um, you know, from a media perspective, can you, can you bring listeners up to speed on what that is like and kind of just a general um, like, what is it like to have a producer in your ear while you're trying to talk and they say 15 seconds and you're like 15 seconds. I don't know if I can do that. Yeah. It's definitely um, a mental multitasking thing. It's I relate it to doing this, <laughs> rubbing your <laughs> stomach and patting your head. Cause you, sometimes you are talking and they're talking in your ear while you're talking. So you can't pause on what you're saying to listen to what they're saying. So it's kind of like being able to do both things at once. And I also was an in-studio host as well for a basketball game. And that was the only second time that I had had that. And I was the in-studio host. And I remember speaking, doing highlights and stuff. And our director and producer were in my ear talking to me. And this was the first time I had done really anything live on camera. That was completely flustering. I couldn't handle it until the next intermission or whatever. But it's definitely a learning curve. And I'm definitely going to have to get into that again this year. So. Oh. 
I'm kind of impressed that you could like on command tap your head and rub your stomach. I don't think I could do that. Come um, on, give it a try. I mean, I don't, maybe I, I'm struggling a little bit here. Yeah, um, you I, got it. I can hardly keep up with the podcast. I mean, um, I, I know, I know I said, well, I was done with questions, but I do have another one. Cause it made me think of another person that worked with you occasionally. And that would be Kirsten Kroll. And she talked about her first in-studio moment and how it was kind of a disaster for her. Have you yeah. ever had a moment? Have you ever had a moment like that, that you can think back where you, froze up or something just did not go right and you just don't want to think about it ever again. Yes, when I was in studio for basketball <laughs> for the first time. Um, well, basketball is not really a sport that I'm like very keen and have knowledge on. Um, so I was already kind of thrown in the fire with that, um, trying to talk highlights and use basketball lingo. Like I had no idea what I was talking about, but it was all, I was also looking at a screen that was like 25 feet away from me and the size of my laptop screen right now. So I was like squinting, trying to see what numbers and players they were. And it was a disaster and I was panicking and I eventually just stopped talking for like 10 seconds because I was so flustered and things were changing on the screen that I wasn't ready for. And I remember the producer in my ear was like, you still have two minutes to go. I'm like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> and I remember, because it was like a halftime report and it was a double header night. So we had done the women's game first and we were supposed to do the men's game after. And after that halftime, I was sitting at the desk crying and I was like, I'm going to have to do that again in about 30 minutes. How the hell am I, how the heck am I going <laughs> to do this? And, um, I think it was kind of the same thing with the color commentating with Nick, where I was trying to take in everybody's, um, experiences and what they do to prepare. Um, I kind of did that going into the in-studio position too, with people who have had experience. And I was trying so hard to do what they do, um, but I didn't trust my own instincts and what I know is natural for me. So I think going into that second half, I was like, all right, screw it. I'm not gonna have any notes. I'm gonna fly by the seat of my pants. I'm gonna do it the way that I wanna do it. And hopefully, it, I mean, it couldn't have gotten any worse than what I had just done. <laughs> um, so the second time it went a lot better, but yeah, that was probably the most horrifying experience of my <laughs> entire career. After all that, would you recommend St. Cloud State as the go-to school for media broadcasting, uh, given your time there? Um, my, most definitely. They, the facilities are amazing. The equipment is top-notch. I mean, they don't really, they're not missing anything. And I know a lot of people that have graduated said that the equipment at St. Cloud State is 10 times nicer than what they're using at their now professional jobs. So I definitely think it gives you the highest caliber experience and the people that you get to work with at UTVS or in Husky Productions or with KVSE, the friendships that you make too with your professors and your colleagues and stuff, I think is really what makes it special at St. Cloud State for sure. And the awards that everybody wins at the end of the year too is obviously a good thing to tack on the resume, but at the end of the day, I think it's just a good experience and so many opportunities to join, whether it's radio or television shows or this or that. I think there's just, it's open for a lot of experience and opportunity. And uh, that will conclude this week's Healthy Scratch segment there. Rachel Horzog, again, former women's hockey defenseman and current Husky Productions media personnel. Thanks again for joining us. We appreciate you having on. Thanks guys so much. 
Take the Huskies Warming House podcast wherever you go. Find the newest episodes or listen to your favorite on iTunes and Podbean. Get all the latest news and updates at huskieswarminghousepodcast.com and look for our Facebook page, the Huskies Warming House podcast, as well as our Twitter feed, at Warming House Den. Our Twitter feed will host trivia updates and questions for fans, as well as a mailbag where you can tweet us anytime with your questions, concerns, or listener suggestion. And for business inquiries, email us at huskieswarminghousepodcast at outlook.com. And again, we say thank you to Rachel Horzog for joining us on this week's episode. Always a pleasure to catch up with her and uh, kind of see what she's up to. So, uh, again, uh, we wish her the best of luck moving forward. And her roles with Husky Productions, uh, definitely a, a very well-run student organization, and we're excited for what the future holds for her. Uh, speaking of future, Noah, our, our souls after interview segment is you know has to do something within the past, you could say. And it's not a pretty one, uh, mm-hmm. at least from what is initially out there. So this has to do with uh, Minnesota Wild current general manager bill garen and uh, th- last week there was a former assistant coach to wilkesbury scranton which is the ahl affiliate of the pittsburgh penguins and essentially what we know and what's been alleged is the assistant coach um his wife uh, there was some sort of incident between the head coach and his wife where there was some possible i guess unwanted advance some kind of uh, episode possibly in a hotel elevator uh something of that sort and then another similar episode uh, or some secondary thing happened in the car with potentially all three of them that were involved um and then from what we know where bill garen gets involved is he alleges again as the assistant coach that he had told the Bill Guerin, who, as the assistant general manager of Pittsburgh, he is the essential general manager of Wilkes-Barre Scranton, that this is what happened. I'm letting you know about it. Uh, Bill Guerin, according to the lawsuit, allegedly told him to be quiet about it um, again. And then essentially now he's hired with the wild after he left. And essentially what the assistant coach is suing for um, is effectively for violating Pennsylvania whistleblower laws as he was uh, relieved of his duties shortly thereafter. And so it's important to talk about this on a couple of different viewpoints, right? Well, first of all, Bill Guerin did release a statement later on that day after uh, TSN had originally reported the story and had said that he uh, essentially very much denies uh, these allegations and uh, uh, will obviously be going through the legal process. The Minnesota Wild Organization also released a statement saying that they had a conversation with Bill Guerin and they, quote, fully supported him uh, with, you know, and will basically be backing him throughout the process. So, Um, Obviously, a lot to unpack here, Noah, but I think what's important to understand here is, you know, there's, first of all, the the optics don't look good, right? I think if you're sitting here and all we know is very surface, at least as far as uh, proven facts, maybe potentially, is it looks like the way that was framed is that Bill Guerin told somebody to keep quiet after his wife essentially was sexually abused by another coach. And then it was essentially by their own words, kind of pushed under the rug and then he was later fired. Um, There's so much more that we have to learn from this. And so I think it's important to especially say now that there is a due process that everybody is entitled to. This is, I believe, a a civil lawsuit. So uh, I first want to, I guess, pose the question, do you know, and that is, uh, first of all, you know, 
as far as Bill Guerin is concerned here, as a Minnesota Wild fan, um, I guess when you first heard of this, what was your initial reaction? And I guess, I guess how worried are you about, uh, I guess, the story as it carries on forward through the legal process? Well, when I first heard about it, I remember telling my parents and I mean, to, to kind of back up, like, like through some of the events that I have, like you mentioned, it's not pretty. I mean, when you read about um, the initial events here, from what I understand, I don't know if it was the, the head coach that was with the assistant coach's wife or, or if it was his boss, but either way, what had happened was they were leaving some sort of event or hotel room and the assistant coach left his wife with his boss in, I don't know if it was like a lobby or an elevator um, and he was, I think he was getting a vehicle. He was not with the group and was going to reconvene with them when they exited the building. And what happened was this boss essentially went up to the assistant coach's wife and essentially grabbed her and started putting his hand underneath his shirt and saying a lot of sexually charged comments to her. And obviously she kind of tried to resist him in that. And then they all got in the vehicle together. And what had transpired was, that this boss insisted he sit in the back seat with the wife while the assistant coach, the husband drove in the front. And this boss essentially put his hand down her pants and was doing, I mean, it pretty self-explanatory. So a very, very ugly thing. Um, and a few days later or shortly thereafter, the wife told the husband he was mortified. So then he goes to management, which involves uh, Penguins assistant GM, Bill Guerin at this point. And like you said, it's noted that the story says that the original story says that Bill Guerin told him to be quiet about it. And that's where it ended. He didn't tell anybody that's where it ended. And then shortly thereafter in the early part of May, that coach that brought up this incident was fired and it was called COVID related cuts, which I don't know if you know much about hockey, but you generally don't cut a coach because of budgetary cuts. There's a lot of things that usually go before coaching staff. So like you mentioned, a lot to unpack here. And I was really worried about it at first because as much respect as I have for Bill Guerin, and like you mentioned, there is a due process. As much respect as I have for Bill Guerin, I understand Bill Guerin finishes playing career in the early 2010s. Bill Guerin is like a lot of other hockey players who grew up in our generation and before where they're are not, not everybody's a bad person in the game of hockey, but there were just a lot of things that got swept under the rug and were treated much, much differently in kind of the era, especially that you grew up in versus where they are today, just in terms of the world and the hockey community. So that's where I said, as much as I hope, and I don't want to think that Bill Guerin has done this, I don't put it out of my mind because I just know that he was once you know, a highly touted NHL player back in the late nineties, early two thousands. That's just what it was. So my mindset changed a little bit though. And granted, this could be a thing for posterity, but from what we've seen going back with Bill Guerin, as far as trades, as far as general manager moves have been concerned for the Minnesota wild. And even back to his Pittsburgh days, um, very, very definitive guy, very straight. He's a, such a straight shooter. I mean, everything he says, I mean, I haven't, I'm very hard pressed to find something that he said that hasn't been almost bluntly or blatantly obvious and generally very, very true. So for him, when this story first comes out within essentially a span of a day or two to say, and I quote, 
When I learned of these allegations, I promptly brought them to Pittsburgh Penguins senior management. The allegations were quickly investigated. I emphatically deny anything to the contrary, end quote, to which then the Minnesota Wild also said that they discussed the matter with Bill Guerin and fully support him. And as it is a matter of active litigation, they will have no further comment. So for me, and again, due process, I hope that the truth, no matter how ugly or less ugly it is that we do get the truth and we do get the correct story and that the punishment or lack thereof fits the crime or lack thereof. But for Bill Guerin to come out and definitively say that uh, again, is it a show of posterity or is it Bill Guerin being legitimate Bill Guerin that we've seen for a year and change up to this point with the Minnesota wild and saying, no, I did what I was supposed to do. This, this is BS. This lawsuit is horrible, but I did my part that I was supposed to do in the role that I was in. Um, and I, and if that is the case, if Bill Guerin did do his job, which again, this lawsuit, it should be resolved because it's terrible, but that falls on to Mario Lemieux and Jim Rutherford, I think at that point and some upper management there, not that it doesn't fall on Bill Guerin, but at the end, at the end of the day, you keep climbing the ladder, someone's got to be accountable and it's usually the star on top of the tree or pair of stars in this case. So um, yeah, I hope it's not true, but I feel a little more, uh, not assured, but confident that Bill Guerin has some sort of, some sort of honesty to his statement there. So a couple of things struck me, right? And uh, I, I like the detail you went into because I think it's important. Um, the details of this suit matter, right? So there's a couple of really big question marks and things that we don't know about this. Uh, first of all, again, the original story depicts uh, pretty much a very quick, I told this to Bill Guerin, he said it'd be quiet and that's it. So typically, if we're going to take Bill Guerin's word, right? Uh, he is the AGM, right? Which means... If you're going to play by the rules, um, you're bringing this up to your boss. So you're bringing this up to GM, you're bringing it up to ownership. And so the question is, did that actually happen, right? You hate to question it, but was it actually brought up to Rutherford slash Lemieux and others um, who would, in the, in, I guess the worst case, you know, the need to know people, right? Uh, two, was it he that made the decision as an individual to say it, or was he a messenger, meaning he did bring this up to upper management and they told him to tell the assistant coach to be quiet, you know, so was he directed? So, you know, there's so many small details that actually have a very large impact on where the onus of this actually goes. Right. So do I think that Bill Guerin uh, potentially uh, could be often this unscathed? It's possible. Um, but it, there's a lot that's going to have to come forward to essentially leave him off the hook. So, um, essentially, you know, um, the, the other thing too is, and this is a very small tidbit, but if you think about, uh, you know, that climbing that ladder, if you will, if Bill Guerin himself decides to go to upper management and tell this story, does the story sound the same as when it was told to him and number right. two and number two, and this is an obvious point, but it, if Bill Guerin, you know, told some told him to be quiet or even if he didn't tell him to be quiet the thing that's a question mark right now is if you were serious about pursuing this if you were bill garen or at least bringing this to 
Jim Rutherford and Mario Lemieux, and they have an interest in it, you know, there's no depiction in this story yet that this assistant coach or this boss or the wife have ever sat down in a room with Mario and Jim Rutherford and or Bill Guerin, right. you know, and, and, and that, and that's, that's what worries me, obviously. Well, and here's the other part. So obviously the lawyers uh, for Bill Guerin, for the Penguins, and even for the assistant coach, they're essentially going to look at, you know, essentially company like operations books at this point, right? They're going to say, or, or look for, Hey, in this incident, do you have a standard or a procedure where if something like this is brought up to somebody in upper management, is there a detail or at least some type of a plan on how to handle this. Meaning does one, you know, if this person finds out, does ownership or slash general management need to know? And then, like I said, is there an internal investigation um, or is there like a third party that comes in and handles it? Like they want to know if there is a set procedure to how to handle this and why that's important is if there is one and most companies have something like this, um, was it followed? Number one, number two, if there was something that was in place and it wasn't followed, why wasn't it followed? And who was the one that acted out of procedure, right? Uh, the other part is what's to say there isn't, um, that would actually be worse in this scenario because now it shows from an organizational, you know, kind of standpoint that they just simply were not prepared to handle this. And then the onus almost falls on everybody involved. So you, know, you talk about, uh, again, we, you know, uh, with potential for these details to come forward and that really are going to matter. That's going to be one thing they're going to look for. And, you know, for, for Bill Guerin, we, we certainly hope that, you know, he was following what he was supposed to do. And again, like you mentioned, we don't know if there was ever a meeting, like either a one-on-one, we don't know if there was ever an internal investigation. We don't know if, again, a third party was brought in to assist with this that has more knowledge about it. Um, so, and again, you know, you, I, you hate to break down the comment too, right? Because in, in law, especially criminal or civil, when they say keep quiet about it, was that meaning keep quiet about the incident or keeping quiet that they did an investigation? And I hate to say this, but this is true, or that we found that this did happen, but keep quiet about it, we're going to handle it internally. There is a big difference there. So you can't just assume either that, you know, and that's what the claim in the lawsuit is, is one you to, to, to assume is that, that, that he told you to be quiet about telling him. We don't know if that's actually what's being interpreted. So yeah, there's so many things that are going to have to be followed through in this. It's a, certainly a very interesting follow for Minnesota Wild fans and upper management. I know they'll be keeping a close watch on it. But as you mentioned, Bill Guerin, very, very like upfront and public and, you know, very much in denial about the allegations. And again, what strikes me is that with, with the Minnesota wild organization, how quickly they threw the support. Now, again, they could easily withdraw back as more of this maybe is unfolded, but um, you know, again, we just have to kind of wait and see what, how this goes. And unfortunately a lot of this information that is going to be important will be sealed as it is an active litigation. So we probably won't know a whole heck of a lot more details until it goes through some proceedings, but certainly going to be some tense moments for uh, mm -hmm. Craig Leopold, as you know, uh, with the Paul Fenton area that didn't go so well, Bill Gerd, I think has done a pretty good job as general manager from everything hockey related. And it, it would be a pain for fans and the organization itself to see uh, a general manager, you know, essentially go down for a, some, a situation that wasn't with the organization, but would take him down nonetheless, just for some past behavior. So, so uh, it's, it's certainly going to be one to watch and we'll definitely, uh, I know I'll be following it uh, as anything comes along new. 
Yeah. And also we don't know how that Pennsylvania whistleblower law fits into this too. So I'm very interested to see how that ties in. And just the very last thing, like you mentioned too, I hope the company does have a policy because the worst thing that you want to see in this situation is an already very egregious and very um, sickening um, event circum or a series of events, I should say that have already happened to uh, this man and his wife on top of that, you hope that there's some sort of precedent that can guide uh, lawmakers and everything, you know, through that process too. But again, we know as much as you know, as listeners, and we'll keep you up to date and uh, in the, in the realm of Minnesota wild hockey, as well as our St. Claude State Huskies who are all both, uh, I shouldn't say both actually the women's hockey team is off until Christmas break. They're getting ready for uh for their real break as college students kind of rare to see college hockey players uh, get a normal break if you will as far as the women's hockey team is concerned but the men's hockey team they won't be coming back from their break until darn near christmas as they get ready for more action in the pod and we'll have all that information and more for you throughout the week with our previews and breakdowns as well as next week's show so stay tuned this has been episode number 40 of the huskies warming house podcast mm-hmm.